Hello, it's Stephen here. Welcome to this new episode of We'd Like a Word. And it's quite a special episode because we've got a major prize to give away. Yes, indeedy. What we have is a Google Pixel Fold. A brand new phone worth £1,700. Absolutely brand new onto the market. And we've got one to give away. But if you want to stand a chance of winning it, I'm afraid you're going to have to listen to the whole podcast because there will be a question about something we talk about during this conversation with Ajay Chowdhury. So, enjoy the episode, and good luck at winning the phone. We'd like a word. About... AI, chat GPT, and writing crime fiction. You're listening to Weed Like a Word with me, Paul Waters. And me, Stephen Colgan. And our guest, Ajay Chowdhury. Hello. Hey, nice to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Ajay is the author of a series. So there's a detective called Kamal Raman. And number one in the series is The Waiter. And then he becomes the cook. He does. And then he becomes the detective. He actually starts as a detective in India, but he ends up, well, by book three, as a detective in the Met Police in London. And then the next one, still to come, will be called The Spy. It is called The Spy. He, he, he's really making progress in the world here. I know. I don't know if, if becoming a spy, <laughs> detective to spy, is that going up or down? I don't know. I don't know. It's a tricky one, isn't it? It is quite interesting to see, though, that, that there, there seems to be a trend at the moment for detectives to have second jobs. You know, it's a bit like writers. <laughs> no, it's funny, in the days when it was Sherlock Holmes or it was Miss Marple or it was Prarot, their job was detective, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, I think the consulting detective thing has got a bit, out, gone a bit yeah. out of fashion now. I think it has, yeah, yeah. Sherlock Holmes was kind of it. it I, I don't think police, the police force are really bringing in consulting detectives no, much No, no, they really are. They really, really are not. No, no. We want to talk about the detective and this series, but the other thing that's interesting, you are a serial tech entrepreneur and you've worked in loads of interesting digital things. Am I right in thinking you invented Shazam? No, no, I didn't invent it. There were, uh, I so was modest. one of the founders and there were a team of us. The guy who invented it is actually still working for Apple because Apple bought Shazam. But I was chairman and then helped get it off the ground. So tell us some of the other tech things that you've done. Oh, gosh, tons of it. So Shazam was absolutely one of the first. I was then uh, CEO of a company called Seatwave, which was a ticketing marketplace. And now I launch a bunch of tech businesses for clients. And AI is one of the hot, the hottest topic at the moment. So we're really trying to see where ChatGPT and AI is, uh, is going to go. So it's interesting because as authors, we tend to think... It's like Armageddon coming. It's the end of the world. It's an existential threat. But you are much more positive. Look, it's got issues for sure. But the reality is, you know, we went from writing by hand to word processors. When you've got your word processors, some of them have AI built into it, whether it's just spell checks and grammar checks and so on and so forth. So this is kind of the next evolution. Is it going to take over from authors? I hope not. Although, interestingly... Uh, the New York Times, I think two weeks ago, reviewed the first book that was entirely written by ChatGPT. And uh, thank goodness they said it was terrible. So, you know, th there's hope for us yet. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I mean, because I mean, there was a meme going around a short while ago saying this wasn't the future I envisaged where I have to prove to a robot that I am human <laughs> and the humans are doing all the good jobs, whereas we're all stacking shelves in supermarkets. Exactly. And it's, um, I think the, the big concern is, I think, is, is the term 
artificial intelligence because people look at that and they think what that means is that this isn't a tool to enable us to do jobs better or to make life easier. It's actually to replace human intelligence. It's going to do the jobs that we currently enjoy doing yeah. and want to do and have to do in order to pay our rent and things like that. I think that's the big, big concern. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that, you know, the prime minister's over in Washington at the moment discussing how we're going to control this, which which you can't, of course. It's Correct. already it's out of the box already. But I think what certainly a lot of writers who listen to this podcast would like is some kind of reassurance that it's not I mean they've already had the rug pulled out of them so much now as I said most authors now have to hold on second jobs because there's just no money in writing yep. anymore that that final strand is going to be that they're not needed at all anymore yep. I'm already seeing examples of I mean I, I lecture at a university we're having to put software in place now because students are getting AI mm -hmm. to write their essays mm -hmm. I've seen a few AI short stories mostly pretty poor yep but then again last year they were appalling next yep. year they'll be better the yep. year after that will be better five years on where will we be Yep. And I think that's what people are looking for, is a little bit of reassurance from the techie side that they're not going to completely take over the art. No, they're absolutely not going to take over the art. So, so the way I think about it is, so if we take writing, for instance, I think you need to separate genre fiction out from literary fiction. So I think these AIs, ChatGPT, will find it very hard to do anything in literary fiction because it's a very different type of creativity over there. And there's a lot of unique stuff coming out. So it's very unlikely that ChatGPT is going to give you the next, Be next Beckett or the next Joyce or anything like that. Can I just interject? Say, sure. Steve, do you write literary fiction? No, not really. I don't. Do you? I do not. I do not. So let's talk about genre fiction then. So uh, those literary fiction writers may feel a bit reassured. Yeah. But the three of us sitting around the table <laughs> do not fall into that category. Indeed. So let's talk about genre fiction. So genre fiction, I think, is extremely interesting because... If you think about crime writers, you know, I'm a recent crime writer. I've only written three books as opposed to other people I've met who've written dozens or hundreds. When I write, I'm very informed by 40, 45 years of reading crime fiction. And if you take genre fiction, there is a formula to a crime novel. You know, this formula is relatively simple. A murder happens, a detective comes upon it and then questions a bunch of people. And then at the end, figures it out and goes, voila, so-and-so is the killer. So there is a formula. And what ChatGPT is pretty good at doing is essentially following formulae. And at its core, what this stuff is, it's just predictive text. So if you think about predictive text on your phone, it's predicting the next word. Here, based on what it's doing, it's predicting the next 100 words, the next 500 words, based on what it's been trained on. So does this mean we're out of a job? No. Because the best crime fiction, the best science fiction, is, in my view, about character. It's about human emotions. And it's not really about just the plot and just the story. I think this will be quite good at giving you plots and giving you stories. But if you really want to be the next P.D. James or the next Ruth Rendell uh, or the next Inspector Morse, it's really about those characters that you get to love. And I don't believe this is ever going to give you those kind of characters that develop and love because that needs a human being to really tap into their emotions to do it, which this cannot. This can copy it. But it's not genuine. And I think people know when something's a copy and when it's, and when okay. it's genuine. So we had a, a question from a listener, Kevin Lynch, or a comment maybe. And he says, formulaic writers like Dame Mary Barbara Hamilton Cartland, DBE, DSTJ. <laughs> this sounds like something lifted from Wikipedia. Oh, 1901 to 2000. Anyway, their shelf life is limited. So she was a hugely successful writer. Yeah. And 
he was saying, so there, in the future, ChatGPT future, there will not be a place for her. You used formula, the word formula. Mm -hmm. So is there going to be a great culling of mediocrity? At this point, the stuff that's coming out of there is even worse than mediocre. It's, it's completely poor. The question that I think you need to ask yourself is, if it begins to write reasonably well, will the reader care if it's written by a human being or if it's written by a computer? I would argue most readers will not care. If it's a good yarn and it's a good story and they like it, they're not really going to care who it's written by. So you will, I think, then get the really good writers who it cannot emulate, and they're the ones who will be absolutely genuine and would probably sell huge amounts, and then there'll be people it can emulate, and those will probably sell pretty well. The example that I tend to use is a lot of writers have become brands. So if you take Wilbur Smith, he's a brand. Wilbur Smith, you know, I loved his books, but he died many years ago. But Wilbur Smith books keep coming out. Poirot books keep coming out. Marple books keep coming out. Will this be able to write some of those? I think it probably will. And I think people will probably read them because what they're buying is the brand and not really buying the writing. Essentially, you were saying about will the reader care? Because on the way here, we were talking about the fact that I've got a whole lot of friends who are artists. They're jobbing artists. And their concern is, they said, a bit like you were talking about literary fiction, they know the people at the top of the tree in the art world will always be all right because there'll always be that billionaire out there who wants a new Grayson Perry pot, who wants a new whoever it happens yep. to be piece of artwork. But the jobbing artists at the bottom, the people who do the book covers, the people who design the cornflakes packets yep. and things like that, they're very concerned because they are the bread and butter artists who do this all the time. And... We were talking on the way here about the fact that there's an absolute plethora of AI-generated colouring books yep. going onto the market at the moment, yep. and the audience doesn't seem to care because the AI stuff is cheaper than the stuff that's been drawn by an artist. Yep. But there's a lot of artists out there who were making their yep. <laughs> their living from creating colouring books, yep. and they're saying, is there any help for us? Is, is this just going to take our jobs completely? Because they're at that lower... It's not lower, that's, that's cruel to the artists because it's, it's being disingenuous. But what I'm saying is that they're at that part of the market yep. where it's more mass-produced stuff that, as opposed to the stuff that you see hanging in a gallery. And, and look, I, I, I think there is a genuine threat there. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm not going to go away from it and pretend oh, it's going to all going to be completely rosy. And the question then is, can they begin to think about how do I use these tools to do what I do better and to differentiate myself from it? Because the other thing that's going to happen is when all the conflict packets on in, in, in Tesco look exactly the same because they've all been done by an AI. Mm -hmm. you know, at some point, Kellogg's is going to say, I need to stand out from this. You know what? I'm going to get a real person to design my cornflakes back at goodness me. What a revolution. And, you know, and suddenly you'll begin to see this coming back. Then the AI will learn that. So this is going to you know, keep well, going. But, but speaking of covers, oh, sorry, though, yeah. so you on the cover of The Detective, yeah. you've got a silhouetted man mm -hmm. walking away from the camera and I like the cover. It's nice and orange and a bit vague and mysterious. But it's got this very familiar crime fiction yep. thriller trope of the man in a big coat, yep. coat walking away from the camera, silhouetted. So nicely designed. But there are so many designers designing covers yep. very similar to this. Yep. The cover of my, my book, Blackwater Town, has a silhouetted man, right. although mine's on the side <laughs> of a river. Right. And I suppose readers know what they're getting with that but if you had to defend this as the height of originality and human creativity against AI you might feel on a bit of a weak ground and then yeah. this is true and you know and and the reason that's I love my covers and and Dan I, I know I'm I like no, no, it no, too. you know yeah. who designs them is fantastic 
But you're absolutely right. It is a trope, and it's a trope because the publishers say, well, that's what sells. That's what people people expect. And, you know, I took a crack at, as you said, the next book coming out is The Spy, and I actually fed in my covers into Mid Journey, which is another AI for, know, yeah. for, for, for art. And I got it to design one, and what came out was actually not bad. <laughs> I should say, so this cover is designed by, I feel I should name check the artist, the designer, Dan Mogford. That's right. Dan, we really like your he cover. He is fantastic. Yeah, He's cover. absolutely terrific. Now, I hope Dan wasn't listening to what you just said about putting your, your covers <laughs> well, the, into Well, the point AI. is, you know, I, I just wanted to see whether he could do it. We're well, not going to use that, because at the end of the day, Harvel Seco is my publisher. We'll use Dan, I hope. But uh, it can do it. You know, and, and we can't run away from it. That genie's out of the bottle. It's not going to go away. Oh, it is, yeah. And it's, it's interesting as well. You were saying about if, if it's a tool we use it for generating ideas, that could be a good thing. Mm -hmm. could be a very good thing. On the converse, a guy who I know who's in advertising put a thing up on Facebook just yesterday saying that some of his, hasn't been his British clients yet, but some of his foreign clients have stopped coming to him now for ideas for adverts because right. they're using the AI to come up with the ideas for the adverts and then they're saying, oh, that's a good idea, I like that one, and then employing the artist yep. to do it. So the the ideas people are starting to lose some of their work as well. Yep. It's really And, and on, on the other side, there was another friend of mine who's a book blogger. He works as a copywriter, and he's at the moment <laughs> locked in a bit of a battle with one of his clients who's refusing to pay him because they they claim he has produced the copy using AI, which he hasn't. Really? Which oh, he hasn't. Gosh. And it's it's we're going to go through a few rough seas, I think, before we come oh, to the there other is. side. And, and uh, absolutely. I mean, go. I don't know. You probably saw um, a couple of months ago they had the Sony Photography Awards. And the oh, first yes, prize yeah. was won by an, a beautiful photograph that was completely generated by AI. They didn't realize. That. They thought it was a real photograph. They gave it the first prize. And then the photographer fessed up and said, actually, this was AI, and he withdrew it. But it just goes to show. And if you look at it, you go, this is actually rather lovely. Yeah. yeah. Now, the interesting thing is the photographer had to do a lot to get that photograph. And the question then is the creativity comes in telling the AI what to do. And I think that's what people are going to find, that the prompting of the AI, the tweaking of it, really pushing it to do things that it, it wouldn't normally do. That's where the creativity book comes Yes, although I have seen AI-generated prompts mm -hmm. for AI. But when you're talking about photography, that reminded me, Steve, of your brother, oh, yeah, the yeah. photographer. So the idea that when people are challenged and by changing technology, they evolve. They do. So tell us about how he has evolved. Yeah, I mean, my brother was a you know reasonably successful wedding photographer, mm -hmm. portrait photographer. Digital photography came along and killed his business. Because basically, instead of paying him, you know, a couple of grand to turn up at your wedding to take photographs, Uncle Bob yep. with his DSLR would come along and take maybe 500 photographs, out of which 20 or 30 are really good. And even if they want, he can fix them in post yep. using Photoshop, and suddenly he's out of business. So he retrained as a, a photography teacher. Okay. And then he stopped getting students coming on the photography course. They don't want to know how to take a good photograph. They just want to know how to fix it in post. Right. So he then retrained as a Photoshop teacher. Right. And that's started changing a little bit now, because now... Phones People, do it. Yeah, phones do everything, right. everything for right. you. So what he's actually done now is one of his big passions, one of his interests is the history of photography. And he's right. got lots of old Victorian plate cameras. He oh, can, wonderful. He can print things on sort of glass negatives and tin plates and things like that. He's now got people queuing out the door to get one of these photographs because right. he can do something that they can't get any right. other way. Right. They've got a physical thing. In, in much the same way as people are going back to film with cameras and people are going back to vinyl. Correct. And things like this because they want something physical for their money rather than just a download. Yeah. 
But it's it's interesting. It, it, we seem to be at a sort of turning point. Some uh, there was a social commentator recently who reckoned that. Remember the photograph of the Pope in the white puffer in coat the puffer jacket, a little yeah. while yeah, ago. Yeah, 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 he yeah. said, "I think the Pope's coat is a Napster moment right. because Napster, when it first appeared online, changed." everything about downloading because there'd always been some sort of little yeah, yeah. piracy going on you know where you'd buy the latest album and then your mate couldn't afford to get a copy so you'd make them a cassette copy of it that sort of thing was always going on but Napster meant you could put the album online and everyone in the world could download it yep and no mistake about the Napster and Pirate Bay and all these others I mean they kind of decimated the music industry yep to the extent that bands, which has never really recovered it's never recovered bands well, it, it has it's kind of back up back up there now it, it kind it, of is it, but, but I mean it, knowing people who work in, in yeah. music so bands don't really make the money now from it's almost like the, the albums they produce are lost leaders oh for touring and they then, make the money yeah. now out of the marketing the advertising exactly and the tours and, course, and, the and the touring and the, yeah. yeah and the merchandise and it also led to the whole Simon Cowell version of things where you actually now start looking for bands that are good looking because you know then they can sell crisps or clothes yeah. or whatever it yeah. happens to be yeah. And he reckons that the Pope's coat is maybe a Napster moment. It's that little turning point, yeah. which will lead to a whole lot of hassle to start with, and then it'll just settle out. I mean, this this is amazing to me because it's everybody I talk to has heard of it. You know, yeah. my mother's heard of it, and she's eighty four, and it's it's been the fastest growing technology in the history of technology. And it's because it's very intuitive, it's very easy to use, and I think it's going to force us to up our game. I think so. You know, is he going to write the next Carmen Raman book? Not the next one. Is he going to write, you know, <laughs> the 10, one after the 10th one after this? Possibly. But then I need to make sure I come up with a plot or an idea. And the characters are so, so powerful that it won't be able to do that. And that I don't think it will be able to do. I think because it's effectively just imitative, it'll imitate what's being done before. But I think people are smart enough to know when something's being imitated and when something is absolutely genuine. Okay, well, we want to find out more about Kamal Rahman and more about AI and ChatGPT, and we'll do that in part two. So we're coming to this as the end of part one of this episode of We'd Like a Word with Ajay Chowdhury and me, Paul Waters. And me, Stephen Colgan. And we'll see you in or part two. Or am I? Or are you? Yeah. <laughs> I was, yeah, I know. One of us, one of us was going to do that. Steve couldn't make it today, but I just programmed in a series of prompts yeah. uh, into fingers, the voice. The fingers. Yeah, I know. I, well, he's never had the normal number of fingers. So he's just from, passed the Turing test. He's from Cornwall. And so it's all different there. Please do write in and complain (laughs) to him. Right. Anyway, bye for now.